Welcome to the Runway VC Podcast, a podcast where we talk with experts and disruptors about how they're influencing the future of aviation and travel. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain speaking. We are currently at a Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Runway VC Podcast. On this episode, we're talking airport Wi-Fi and no better person to do that with than the Chief Marketing Officer of Boingo, Don Callahan. Throughout our conversation, we talk a little bit about the history of Boingo and how they actually got into the airport industry, as well as what their current setup is with airports, the different tiers that they work with, and how they're working with other partners outside of airports to bring free Wi-Fi to certain travelers. And then we wrap it up talking about the future of Wi-Fi at airports, what they see is on the horizon for the quote-unquote connected traveler, and how that's going to impact the way that they grow. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Dawn. Hey, Dawn. How's it going? It's great, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Um, So we got you on the podcast today to kind of talk about the future of Wi-Fi. No better person, no better company to get on than Boingo and kind of talking about Wi-Fi at airports and whatnot. But before we jump into that, why don't you give us a little background on Boingo and how they got into the airport world? Sure. So Boingo is now considered sort of one of the leading companies in Wi-Fi around the world. And we started 16 years ago as a tiny little startup um, back in the days when Wi-Fi was not even called Wi-Fi. It was called uh, Mm 802.11, which, you know, falls very trippingly off the tongue. Uh, It's kind of amazing that it sort of made it out. Um, (laughs) But uh, uh, and so and we started very early trying to uh, Sky Dayton, who was the founder of the company, had this vision that Wi-Fi would be something that eventually was in every consumer device and was something that really got people connected in a way wirelessly. And he had this vision for what that might be, what, what that might look like. And it turned out to be incredibly prescient. He was very, he was certainly a few years ahead of his time um, in terms of the proliferation of Wi-Fi. For example, when we started, I think there were 400 hotspots in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, was, it was very early days. So we certainly, Boingo has certainly been a pioneer uh, in Wi-Fi and in this space um, for about 16 years. Um, how we got into airport Wi-Fi is about, oh gosh, right before we, we did our Series C round of funding. This is before we went public. Um, and part of that Series C was, a, was around our ability to acquire a company called Concourse Communications, which at the time was one of the leading companies that did, uh, they operated Wi-Fi and DAS networks in the, um, in the airport space. And let me just back up and sort of explain what a DAS network is because it's sort of important to the Boingo story as well. Um, DAS stands for Distributed Antenna System, and the way that I sort of liken to explain what a DAS system is, it's a cellular system, and I say, imagine a cell tower. Everyone's familiar with what a cell tower is. Take that mm-hmm. cell tower and stick it inside a building, um, in a distrib- almost like with an AP, like a Wi-Fi AP would be, mm-hmm. um, and it enables uh, us to extend cellular coverage into buildings that are very dense. Um, or have a lot of traffic. So we, we do both cellular um, with, with DAS and, uh, you know, licensed spectrum as well as unlicensed spectrum with Wi-Fi. Um, so getting back to Concourse. So Concourse, uh, I think, had about 13 airports at the time. Uh, I may be getting that wrong, but uh, we acquired them. And so it really gave us um, sort of an instant entree into doing Wi-Fi and DAS operations uh, back in, I think that was in, oh gosh, 2000 and 
four or five. Um, and so that's, that was really the entree to get into, into airports. And from there, you know, we've built a, a, a large portfolio over time that now spans uh, airports, both national as well as international. Oh, yeah, 2001, to kind of put that into context, I think it's, it's easy to sit back and say 16 years ago and not realize how far we've come in the past 16 right. years. But obviously right. before, before tablets, before the iPhone, um, and even that was even a time where AOL was still sending out and, and hocking those disks all over the place. Oh, so, absolutely, so, absolutely. Uh, in fact, of, Wi-Fi didn't – go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say most of – I would imagine most of the Internet was still connecting via dial-up at that time. Absolutely. And in fact, um, I was going to say what was interesting is Wi-Fi wasn't even, Wi-Fi chips were not even built into laptops back then. You had to have, you know, this external card uh, that was connected to your device. There was no such thing as Wi-Fi being built into laptops, which seems insane to say now, but, you know, that's what it was like. (laughs) Right. No, I remember my first laptop having to buy an external card after a few years just to get it to connect to the the Wi-Fi network. So, Yeah. um, Our original product uh, for those, you know, we provided access to those, like I said, 400 hotspots around the world, and the price point for that was $79.95 a month, which (laughs) which was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about doing both Wi-Fi and data, um, so or and and cell services. So are you all right. off, also working with cell phone companies to provide better signals in airports for reception and whatnot? That's exactly what we do. So a DAS network is designed. So uh, all four major carriers are our uh, are our partners. So what we do is um, think about it this way: is sort of like you know what most people don't realize is. If you get out of the cab and walk into an airport with your mm-hmm. phone on and you're on a phone call, um, you walk about 30 to 50 feet inside that building, it's very hard for your phone to connect to the cell tower outside sure. anymore, right, with the, with the glass and the metal and all those kinds of things. And so what most people don't realize is, is that in large buildings, whether they're airports or stadiums or arenas or uh, even things like the Lincoln and Holland Tunnel where we provide service, uh, the World Trade Center where we provide service, your phone is actually changing, switching off of that uh, cell tower outside and switching onto a DAS network inside the building. Mm-hmm. So we build uh, these DAS networks um, at, at buildings, and then bo- all of the carriers are our partners. So um, they then allow their traffic to kind of uh, get onto our network. Um, and so whether, whether you're a Sprint or AT&T or Verizon uh, or T-Mobile customer, when you're walking into one of our airports, by and large, we're also providing your cellular service. Okay. And so in terms of setting up at airports and kind of uh, laying the groundwork, are you all – what does that agreement look like between Boingo and the airport? Is that something that uh, Boingo is allowing – is giving the airport free of charge and then kind of working with the carriers and – generating revenue from kind of that route or is there also a buy-in that the airports have to kind of front in the beginning it yeah every deal is a little bit different and the deals between a wi-fi network and a DAS network are different in terms of mm-hmm. the mechanics and the, and the and how the business model works but generally speaking um on a wi-fi situation on a wi-fi network or a wi-fi model it, it all depends on how much the airport wants to uh wants to pay for the network themselves or if mm-hmm. they don't have funding to do that what products and services we then can offer and layer in in order to help discount uh, the price of that of that wireless network. So, for example, um, 
they, you could go everywhere from a, a, an airport who says, um, I want to provide seamless access to my customers, and I want to do that in a way where they don't have to do anything. They don't have to watch an ad. They don't have to buy service. It's just, you know, they walk in the door and they can get connected. And we're going to pay for that network entirely. We generally call that sort of a managed services operation, and, we, mm-hmm. and that's one form of what we do. The other end of the spectrum is a, a, an airport that might want to provide Wi-Fi, but they simply don't have the funding to do so. They can't put up anything. And that case, we front all of the um, – capital in order to build, support, sustain, maintain the network. And these are generally long-term contracts somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, in the neighborhood of five to 10 years. Um, we then, so we pay for it. And then we help monetize that network through a bunch of products. Mostly these days um, that's done through um, everything from uh, ads for access. So the end consumer can watch a 30 second video uh, in exchange for getting online for free. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of our advertising model. They can purchase access. Uh, where they can buy a subscription to Boingo Wi-Fi, um, as well as some we'll call sort of um, wholesale products like carrier offload, which we can talk a little bit more about in detail. Um, but that is basically the enabling of um, a carrier, like like Sprint in in, in one case, mm-hmm. to take their traffic and move all of it onto um, onto an unlicensed spectrum onto Wi-Fi. So today, when a Sprint customer walks into any of our uh, 35 different locations where we've enabled this, um, your phone, if you're a Sprint customer, will automatically go from cellular over to Wi-Fi, and so you're getting online for free, and they're moving all of their traffic, all of their network traffic onto, uh, onto Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And that offloads their, I would assume, that offloads their data spectrum to kind of uh, open it up to voice over Internet uh, calls being done or VoIP calls, um, as well as data messaging and all that kind of stuff, correct? That's exactly right. It looks at, it looks exactly the same to an end consumer in terms of their user experience, mm-hmm. um, but in terms of what's happening in the background is that traffic is riding on unlicensed spectrum instead of licensed. Okay. And so in, in the situation where Boingo is kind of fronting the capital and monetizing off of ads or, or partnerships um, or, a, or a premium subscription, is there a cut that comes back? to the airport as well. Uh, so you can yes. see in some concessionaire standpoints where you know a Chick-fil-A may build out their Chick-fil-A uh, in an airport, there's still some type of revenue coming in through the airport as well. Yep, that's exactly how it works. So that's, um, and so generally speaking, um, the, depending on how much revenue or capital we're putting up to begin with, um, those, how that, how the mechanics of how it works is, it will vary. But generally speaking, um, there is definitely a, a minimum guarantee that we're offering to the airport in exchange for the wireless rights. Okay. And so kind of to give our listeners who may not be uh, super familiar with your offerings from a customer standpoint, uh, there's two tiers of, of Boingo access. Uh, the free tier, which is you got to watch an ad and it, it's uh, maybe you may have slower internet speeds and then the premium tier, um, which is a pay per month subscription, correct? Yeah, it can be pay per month or it could be pay by by the hour or the day, just depending on what your needs are. Okay. And that comes with ad-free experience as well as faster speeds? Yep, that's exactly right. So um, the free service, we've we've tiered that. So essentially it's watch an ad and get get free Wi-Fi access, which most Mm -hmm. folks are are very familiar with now. Um, And... And essentially what's interesting is we sort of pioneered this, you know, five or six years ago when, uh, when it seemed a little odd and unusual to watch an ad before you, you know, you sort of got online. But today, you know, pre-roll 
video is a, just a gigantic part of how the Internet works and how freemium services works. I think folks are a little more accustomed to it today. Yeah. Um, but we, we, set the, we set the threshold for that speed as sort of a minimum of five megs. And we did it that way because what we, what we took a look at is we looked at the kind of network traffic that people who were using the network were typically doing. And we looked at, you know, our, you know they're watching Netflix, they're on Facebook, they're updating mm-hmm. their, you know, they're tweeting before they get online or, excuse me, before they get on their plane. And so we looked at, well, what of those services that they're doing, what are the what kinds of speeds do we need to offer them in order to have a great user experience? And so we went to Hulu, we went to Netflix and HBO to figure out, like, well, what are their typical uh, kinds of services and speeds that they recommend for a great streaming experience? And it and five megs really was, even though it sounds, um, you know, sometimes in the in the world where you know Spectrum and and sure. Comcast are selling 300 megabit sure, products. Sure. Uh, it sounds it sounds you know fairly de minimis, but reality is that's really what you need to stream, in particular over a mobile device, which is mm-hmm. 80% of the traffic today. Um, so yeah, so five megs for a minimum of five megs for the free service, and then we have these premium services that are really designed for what I'll call sort of um, uh, you know business people for the most part, people who really need. To, for the airport to function almost like their office on the go, right? So mm-hmm. I'm sure we've all been in that situation where, at least I know I have, where I'm sitting in an airport lounge or you know waiting to get on the plane, and I've got to get a 90 megabit file uh, yep. back uploaded before <laughs> right. I get on the plane, um, and and I've got you know two minutes to do it before they call before I've got to get up and get in line, and so it's really designed. Um, and there we have speeds of minimum of uh, 20. Um, pegging to 50 and in some cases 100 megs uh, for those for that premium service. And again, it's an ad-free experience. And it also gives you access to our entire, uh, uh, foot, our entire wireless footprint. So it's about a million hotspots around the world that you get access to. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, because you are, all, are, like you mentioned earlier, outside of airports, you're also in uh, the World Trade Center and, and various venues like that. Um, what right. are some of the other, yep. What are some of the other uh, venues that people may recognize? Um, it's everything from, you know, stadiums and arenas, office buildings, convention centers, malls, um, military bases, uh, coffee shops and cafes, things like that. So, um, you know, McDonald's all around the world, those, those kinds of places. So mm-hmm. um, we basically partner with Wi-Fi aggregators all over the world. I think we have something like over 100 different Wi-Fi partners over the world that we then aggregate and put that into one footprint that, um, when you use our software, it enables you to get online anywhere at any of those locations. Yeah. Now, and I don't know if uh, you would be the best person to kind of uh, talk to this, but from a customer service standpoint, um, mm-hmm. I can imagine being at an airport and really only having a limited time uh, yeah. to capture a – make sure customers have a pleasant experience, especially with free uh, customers, um, anyone that's ever – had any relative uh, that would be over a particular age or just not comfortable <laughs> with technology knows that right. Wi-Fi networks, regardless of what they look like, are inherently um, it go down at the m- most inconvenient time. And when they do, yes, yes. Yeah, you know, they are. It's the rule of law. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Uh, and that seems to be times 10 when it comes to certain Wi-Fi networks. Um, if you are, you know, airports that do have Boingo, um, I can imagine don't always have, may suffer with some reliability issues. Um, and in fact, talking to a few people, 
you know, when you when you tell people you're going to interview or talk to a certain uh, someone from specific companies, everybody has their own stories. Um, right, right. And so some people, some people that I spoke with beforehand, you know, they always say, well, what about the Internet at X, Y, and Z airport? Uh, ask them why it's this, acts this way and this way. Um, so how do you work with your airports to ensure that it is the most consistent service that you can offer when you're only able to make sure that passengers, you know, if they don't have a good experience within the first five minutes uh, of the hour that they're there, uh, not walk away with a bad taste in their mouth? That's exactly right. And and it is, you just hit on Chris, something that is so mission critical to us that we've, you know, we put a lot of investment around the customer experience. Um, what's interesting is we were one of the first companies maybe five or seven years ago when social media was kind of just starting to um, sort of become a burgeoning kind of thing to sort of dip our toes in the water and do really do a lot of focused effort around customer care via um, social media. And it was, it was really interesting. I was actually at a, a conference uh, back then, maybe five or seven years ago, that uh, there was a guy who, from an airline, who I will not name, but it was a you know a head of customer experience at this airline. Mm-hmm. And he said, he made the comment, he said, you know, these people who are on social media, they're on Twitter. He's like, they, you know, they tweet something and they expect just like to go to the front of the line. Like they just expect like they're, you know, they don't call us and wait in line like they right. need to wait in line. And I started laughing because I was just like, oh gosh, like uh, this is, he's going to change his tune very soon. I promise yeah. you. Um, and so, the, you know, this concept of, you know, the customer care and customer experience is really about how do you deliver a great experience in the exact way that the that the customer wants, not the way that you want, right? So right. Not, it's not it's not how it's convenient for me if you all queue up in my 1-800 number and I'll, and I'll answer you time by time. You're exactly right that people who are getting online, particularly at an airport, are extraordinarily time constrained. Um, they're also extraordinarily stressed, right? Mm-hmm. Traveling is not an easy situation. So you've got that combo platter um, uh, of both stress and time constraint. So social media becomes something that people immediately go to when something's not working or that something's not where they can't figure it out or they're having a less than stellar experience. And so if, if you actually check out our Twitter feed, you know, there's the traditional stuff that we push in terms of consumer messaging, that sort of thing. But largely, I'd say 80% of our Twitter feed is really just us reaching out to help consumers. And we do that two ways. One is if someone direct messages us or tweets us, um, through that channel, we, we, imme- we get back to them, generally speaking, within about three to five minutes. So it's pretty immediate. We've got agents that are staffed 24-7, 365, just to look for these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do the same thing on our Facebook page, but that, generally speaking, most of that traffic comes through Twitter. We also have um, social media listening tools. So occasionally, let's say somebody is, let's say, has a frustration around a particular, let's say they're, they're unable to get online or they're having difficulty. Um, it, they may not have at Boingo'd us, but because we're looking for a lot of different terms around Wi-Fi and maybe the name of an airport or something like that, um, we will then, even if they don't, you know, tag us in their tweet, we will immediately jump in and say, hey, can we help? You know, we'd love mm-hmm. to help you get settled. So we're doing proactive um, outreach. Um, but, but you make a great point in that, generally speaking, um, you know, it's one of those situations where, yes, things seem to go down right at the most inopportune time. Um, and so, you know, but the best thing you could do is recover in that situation is how can you get recovered. And that can be anything from, um, you know, and we can get into this a little bit more too, it's that sort of like, you know, it, you may be sitting in an airport 
where the wireless network has not been upgraded in two years, right? Mm -hmm. And the amount of the number of people who are traveling with devices and getting online, the number of devices that they're carrying, and then the number of things that they're doing online that are bandwidth intensive, primarily video and streaming, um, have completely shattered the, the way that networks were designed five years ago. So if you're at an airport that that network was designed five years ago, it is not uh, it is not ready to handle mm-hmm. the kind of load that we're seeing today. And so that mm-hmm. may be some of the issue too, which is the network just has to be upgraded. Sure. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that um, I definitely want to get into that a little bit more. <laughs> and in fact, okay, great, that would have been great. a great transition. Uh, had I, I, I just have one more question or a few more questions sure. to ask uh, in regards to kind of airports now. You're seeing that one of the big things that airports are starting to brag about um, is, you know, we have the fastest Wi-Fi network or we have, <laughs> right. um, you know, a really uh, – a, a network we've built a network to to be you know prepared for a heavy load um yeah. last last year one of the first episodes we had the director of the Indianapolis airport who right. you know he was very proud of the fact that they are offering in Indy one of the fastest networks in the country um is that are you all looking at that as competition you know is there a, is there a kind of a a future where uh, airports are offering their own, you know, major hub airports are offering, and even small airports are offering their own Wi-Fi networks? Yeah, if, if, certainly it's, it's competitive in that any, anybody who's providing a Wi-Fi network uh, instead of Boingo is, you know, should be considered competition for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and we do see this more and more where, where airports are, you know, sort of bringing their own network. Um, and, and frankly, that's great, right? Anything competitive, anything that sort of makes you raise your game, that's a, that's a great thing for consumers and it's a great thing for business. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say, and the thing I'd add to that is, but we also, you know, the thing that I say and I sort of caution people, and I think, I, I forget the publication that it was in, but there was a, a recent publication, I think it might have been in the Washington Post, I may be getting that wrong, that was um, basically sort of an outline of here's the 20 fastest uh, airport Wi-Fi networks that we found based on our based on our research, uh-huh. and as you can imagine, when that came out, you know, people, airport directors, heads all over the country were sort of popping off because sure. they either were on that list as sort or of a great example, the or they or they didn't make the list. And like, <laughs> right. why aren't we on this list? Right. And so the thing that we caution them is, um, you you have to be a little bit careful about the numbers game and sort of like, you know, we're the fastest. So, you know, we've got a 40 megabit, you know, download speed, and now this guy's got 80, and now this guy's got 100. You have to be a little bit careful about the arms race there because Mm -hmm. the reality is is that the question is, what are you going to do with that speed? There Mm -hmm. is, as I I pointed out at the beginning of the the episode when we started chatting, you know, Netflix recommends five megabits of speed, download speed, for for high-definition streaming of their content on a mobile device, which Mm -hmm. is about 80% of the content. if I have 100 megs, I can't go any faster with that, right. with that stream. It's not going to be any higher quality. It's not going to deliver. It's, I only need five, and if I have five, then, I, then that's okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of an arms race, um, and there's a little bit of marketing that goes into that. And, again, I, I worked for the cable industry for many, many years, and, you know, I'm well aware of – the kinds of things that <laughs> that you do in broadband. I was going to say, say those, those companies are the ones that were the experts at marketing the arms oh, race. <laughs> absolutely right. So why you know I've got you know somebody just asked me last week you know should I be getting that 300 megabit package and I was like right. oh my god no no you yeah. don't need 300 megabits <laughs> so because you can't do anything extra with it right, right. so um, 
so the question is, is just what do you need it for? And so, so the one thing that we tried to caution is the, the folks that contacted us and the folks that we work with is what you want to do is provide an outstanding experience. And certainly over time, that number is going to increase simply because the kinds of things that we're doing online will be different, right? So an a, a HD experience uh, for a Netflix stream well, that's going to be very different than if I've got a 4K stream of that mm -hmm. same Netflix content, and I'm going to need now 20 megabits in order to deliver that 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 stream in a in a great way. So certainly over time that will increase. But um, my caution to the the folks that we work with is it's okay. You don't have to have the fastest one. You just have to be able to deliver a great user experience, and that's what we try to do with all the network that we that we provide and our partners that we work with. And now, how does it? I guess is there talks kind of internally. Um, but when you all come and, and focus on revenue streams and you're looking at your premium package versus your free tier package, um, it seems as, as net, Wi-Fi networks grow more and more. As you mentioned, we're becoming more and more connected. Um, it, it, Wi-Fi is almost be, or connectivity, I guess, not necessarily Wi-Fi, but connectivity is almost seen as a utility that should be free, right? You know, mm -hmm. so you're, you're yep. looking at cities now that are, are debating whether they should um, roll in internet connectivity as a utility, you know, label it as a utility right. similar to the water yep. and, you, and electricity. Um, is there a, ever a time where that premium subscription kind of goes away for Boingo because it's the expectation of the customer? Yeah, absolutely. And, and really, that's, that's really what's happened a lot over the past, uh, five years or so. So what's interesting is, um, let's go back to 2007, say. Mm -hmm. um, in 2007, that was the year that the iPhone launched. And prior to that, Wi-Fi truly was seen as a premium item. It was something that people paid for. Right. They understood that it was something they had to pay for. It was an expectation they paid for. It. When, when the iPhone came out and became this sort of runaway hit, what was interesting is suddenly everyone had a computer in their pocket. And it, all had, it was Wi-Fi enabled. And the first sort of domino that sort of went was both McDonald's and Starbucks within pretty short order of each other began offering their Wi-Fi for free. Mm -hmm. And so when that happened, and then, you know, so you've got this, uh, a, a, you know, a device in your pocket that gets you connected, and there's uh, now suddenly uh, millions of places that you can get connected, and more and more of them every single day are offering them for free – Within pretty short order, I would say within an 18 to 24 month period, we went from Wi-Fi uh, that was a premium item, and frankly, that the one of the major revenue streams of Boingo was based on uh, right. A, a, right. Premium, a premium revenue stream into a utility that was free. And so, as you can imagine, uh, yeah, we had to do a pretty big pivot on our on our business model, right? Mm -hmm. And so, the one thing I would say is. What's interesting is most people, when they think of Boingo, first of all, they think of Wi-Fi. They think of Wi-Fi in the airports. That's generally what people know us. Mm -hmm. But the reality is paid, paid airport Wi-Fi is such a tiny percentage of our revenue streams today, um, uh, the advertising revenue that we make, and really much more of the what I'll call sort of B2B lines of revenue. So those are mm -hmm. things like Wi-Fi offload um, comes with Boingo. So one of the things that's really interesting is um, – so. Wi-Fi connectivity is still an incredibly powerful and compelling um, product for business travelers. Uh, it's right. the number one most requested travel amenity by and far. I mean, it, it's, there, in fact, there's, there's a very funny report that they did. They surveyed uh, business travelers, and business travelers preferred Wi-Fi over alcohol, 
chocolate, and even sex, which is, I, I want to talk to some of these business travelers because I have some questions. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you're just like, Wi-Fi is really important to people. And so one of the things that we did was we took our retail product, our traditional retail product that we sold to end consumers, and it got repackaged under this brand called Comes with Boingo. And it has now uh, been sold to the likes of companies like American Express and MasterCard, who then wrap that benefit into their uh, card member benefit. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, if you're an American Express Platinum or Gold card member today, you get uh, free uh, Boingo Unlimited access in the same way that you might have paid directly from some to us before. You're getting that as a free card member benefit. And so oh. um, the product is identical to what we sold directly to consumers. It's uh -huh. just that instead of being paid by the consumer, in this case, we're being paid by, uh, by a partner. Yeah. And you're seeing that um, from other companies as well. I mean, I, I know, uh, I can imagine that that's going to be a uh, perk uh, and a business to a B2B, like you mentioned, uh, relationship that's going to continue to grow because more and more actual companies are looking at investing and making sure that their employees uh, are always online. So I think it was yep. uh, to the extent that, was it late last year, Facebook even uh, agreed to pay some type of money to in have Wi-Fi installed at one of the airports out in California. Close, I think it might have been San Jose. Um, oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, one of the anyway, one of the airports, and it, and I say San Jose, um, it could very well have been one of the general aviation airports uh, that is, you know, they've got a plethora of them <laughs> around right, them right, throughout yeah. the valley. Um, right. So, well, and and your the the ubiquity of Wi-Fi, um, and you kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh, Gro the growth of mobile, but also are you all seeing other devices that are growing um, in connectivity outside of just mobile? Is it watches um, or anything like that? Yeah. 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 The IoT is – we definitely see an uptick in just the amount of um, – uh, usage on the network, right, that just sort of walks in the door and gets connected. So mm -hmm. what is, wearables are a big piece of, what, of what's going on. But IoT uh, in general, in terms of whether that is an airport doing sort of back-of-house stuff, so those could be anything from, uh, let's say, devices or point-of-sale machines and things like that that, that uh, some of the concessionaires are doing. It mm -hmm. could be security stuff that, that, uh, that the airport is doing. It could be anything from RFID tags that you know, the luggage systems are using. There's, uh, there are tons and tons of ways that um, IoT will become more and more and more a bigger piece of the traffic that you see on the network. Um, it's just starting today, but it's definitely one of those trends that is going to be really impactful in the, in the coming years. And how does Boingo, I guess, facilitate that growth of IoT? Um, how are you working with your airport partners to kind of make sure that the passengers aren't walking into a dead zone, quote-unquote, you know, and, and one of their devices that works at home no longer works at the airport? Well, it generally should. I mean, in terms of um, opening up access, depending on what kind of, you know, what kind of model the airport has, it, it will depend, right? So mm -hmm. to, to, if the network isn't a free network, it's not going to work. Um, but, but certainly it is one of those things where more and more, especially the consumer-facing stuff may be something that takes a little bit longer uh, versus the, we'll call it back-of-house security systems and things like that that will be much more integrated into the network because we can do that more easily. Mm -hmm. What are the um, – when it comes to connectivity, and this is kind of transitioning in to one of the final – 
points, uh, which I think could be for a little bit longer of a discussion, but when it comes to connectivity, what does the future of that look like? Because um, yeah. with Wi-Fi networks, you know, you're seeing a lot of airports now that are interested in, in building a actual network with when travelers get onto the airport premises um, right. and, and be able to use mobile devices, not just phones, but also watches and glasses and whatever is going to be yep. down the line to provide information, um, right? So the uh, ideal situation that everyone talks about is when you pull up to the parking garage of the airport, your phone gets a tick that, you know, recognizes you're at the airport and all this gate information, wait times, whatever, you know, whatever the whoever's talking about is most passionate about. That's the information that they want to push to the traveler. Yep. Um, but that starts with a Wi-Fi network. Um, That's right. You know, Wi-Fi is, is a lot easier. You know, you get a bigger range, as you know, on Wi-Fi than Bluetooth um, beacons, which also right. are trying to figure out their way into airports. Um, That's right. How does that look? What does that look like with Point Go? So the thing that I would say that is probably one of the biggest trends that we're seeing is a technology called Passpoint. Uh -huh. So what? So one of the biggest problems that you know we have with Wi-Fi networks today is it doesn't work like it does when you're at home, right? When you when you come home at night, you walk in the front door, uh, your device instantly recognizes you. You've got you're on a secure network, and it just automatically connects to Wi-Fi, right? You don't have to think about it. You don't have to put in a username and password. It just works. You just walk in the door, and it works. Mm -hmm. Passpoint is the exact same kind of idea, where essentially you have a username and passport, username and password that is part of what's called a Passpoint profile that actually sits in the OS layer of your device. Uh -huh. um, and so what happens then is that when you have a Passpoint-enabled hotspot and you walk in the front door of that hotspot, whether that's an airport or the convention center or wherever it is that we've enabled it, your phone just automatically connects to Wi-Fi. And so I mentioned earlier this whole concept of carrier offload, which is carriers who are taking their traffic on very, very congested uh, uh, cellular networks and they're trying to move some of that traffic onto, um, onto uh, unlicensed or Wi-Fi networks. And the way that they're facilitating that is through Passpoint. So essentially what Sprint did when we partnered with them more than a year ago is they pushed a Passpoint profile to X number of millions of, um, of their customers. And so automatically in the background, the, the user didn't actually have to do anything. The, it was all being facilitated through the OS layer via Sprint. And then on our end, uh, you know, we knew that it was a Sprint customer and to authorize them. And so essentially, instantly, when Sprint customers would walk in the front door of LAX or JFK or ORD, um, their phones were automatically getting connected to Wi-Fi. And so the, the key thing that we have to do with Wi-Fi is we've got to make it really, really easy so that, to your point, as you pulled up in the parking lot, um, your phone just automatically switches onto that network and is, is able to get connected. So we've already announced that Sprint is doing this. We've announced but haven't named a second carrier that we are now have rolled out to five different airports um, and are being will extend that um, throughout this year. Um, we're in discussions with a third that will do that. So we, we haven't named any of those other two, um, but certainly there. I would say you know if you if you're looking for a major trend that's going to happen over the next few years is that because carriers will be doing this automatically, right? So if you're one of the top working with one of the top four carriers. 
those devices that have cellular connections built in will just be getting connected automatically. You as a consumer will not have to do anything. You walk in the building and it just works. Mm -hmm. It's a little different for devices that aren't uh, cellular-based. So let's say you've got a laptop with just Wi-Fi, and it'll be a little different user experience there. Um, But generally speaking, you know, the, the, the majority of traffic on the majority of devices is going to happen automatically. So you as a consumer really won't even have to think about it anymore. Now, when you say connected to a network, are you saying, are you in, this is just the internet in general, right? So this isn't connecting to a, almost like an intranet. Um, right. Types, type, for, and for those listeners who aren't familiar, kind of an intranet is an internal network, which is what the internet was when it, when it originally right. started. Um, but that is almost, it almost seems that that's what the future looks like, where it's kind of a blend between if I want to go out into the web and pull information from Google or, you know, what, uh, whatever, if I'm trying to buy theater tickets or, you know, Cubs tickets before I get to Chicago, um, I can go out to the internet and grab that. But also a blend with my local airport's network to tell me what information is relevant in that in that venue while I'm there. Um, and it seems to be that everyone wants to do that in their own way, right? So every right, airport right. in the country, mm-hmm. every airport in the and I don't I say every, that's a stretch, but a lot of airports in the country are now building their own apps, right? Every, yep. you know, there yep. are all these airports that want to make their own app, to have their own app, and they feel like they have to uh, because everybody has their own app. While at the same time, you've got United with their app and American and all yep. the airlines have their apps and Starbucks has their app and that also works with the concessions at Starbucks. Um, so I guess couldn't Boingo be that choke point to say, okay, enough with the apps. We'll just, if you join, <laughs> you know, be, you. I guess in theory, I look at Boingo as being able to be that mitigator between, you know, we're going to help build the local ne- network and and be able to yep. share that relevant information as well as bring in the external network when it comes to the internet as well. Yeah, it's a good question. It's actually something we sort of experimented with a little a few years ago. But the reality is is that um you know, if I'm an airport director, I am passionate about my airport and mm-hmm. I don't care about Boingo's brand. And even if it's sort of subjugated and, I, and Boingo white labels it, um I want my own app. I want it to do what I want it to do. I want it to look and feel like my thing. And I don't, you may be doing something that I don't care about. So sure. the reality is it became very difficult to sort of convince um, different uh, airports to say like, hey, we think that we can provide a way that, you know, we'll provide an app that works great at your airport and every other airport kind of thing. But the reality is, you know, folks are, you know, they're they're in love with their own brand as they should be, and so right. there's there's a reluctance to sort of give that over to a third party, even again, even if it's white labeled. So we sort of step back from trying to be that uh, that that central third party that could deliver kind of a, an app that worked across across um, different airports. And to your point, again, if I'm United or Delta or American, I absolutely want that direct relationship with the consumer um, sure. in a way that, that they can't have. So I, I think it's probably uh, – I, I don't think we're going to arrive at a day where you're going to see um, apps go away. I think apps will continue to be a big part of, uh, you know, the, the, the universe that we have with devices. Um, but I, and, I, and I do think that – but I do, I do absolutely foresee a situation where – 
um, you know, you'll walk into that, that parking lot and that parking garage, it'll connect because you, our Sprint customer is going to connect to pa- via Passpoint and get you online. And then in the background, because you're, let's say, a United customer, and now United knows, oh, they're on the network, so therefore I'm going to push information about their gate and maybe even wayfinding to get to the gate and th- those kinds of things. I definitely think that um, it's something that, you know, smart and savvy brand marketers, whether they're an airport or whether they're an airline, will continue to be to continue to be pushing. Yeah, I guess I'm just seeing um, the evolution or the the dissolvement of these silos when it comes to certain industries. Um, so, you know, when the iPhone first came out and the and then the iPad, but a couple years after, every news agency, you know, whether it was New York Times, Washington Post. All of those uh, publications had their own apps, and yep. if you were a business person or um, just a news junkie, you had subscriptions to all of them. In order to get every piece of information, you had to have all those different apps, um, which was right. not any different from the way that it was before mobile devices, right? In order to read every paper, you had to get them all delivered to your house. Uh, That's right. Now you're seeing uh, within the past couple of years, you've seen the evolution of these news readers where they've said, you know what, no more apps. We're going to aggregate and collect all this, all these articles for you and deliver in deliver them to you in one seamless experience. Um, mm-hmm. And Apple started that. Or, well, Flipboard and and was one of the first ones to kind of popularize this idea. And Apple came not too long after with their news app. Um, you're seeing the same thing happen with TV. Uh, you come from the cable industry, so yep. I'm sure you were in a lot of these conversations at one point where with the Apple TV and um, and Chromecast where it, really the Apple TV is saying, you know what, customers don't care what channel their TV show is on. They just want to that's watch right. their TV show. Um, yep. And that's even becoming more proliferant with the Echo. And I have to choose my words carefully so I don't set mine off. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, that, that's a, a voice-activated device that has access to all different types of quote-unquote apps. But as mm-hmm. a user, I don't know that. I just say, right. you know, a word, connect me to this information and send it to me, and it does. Um, so right. I guess I'm, I see that happening in venues, whether it's a mall or a airport um, where you don't have to have every single app to get through that, um, those silos kind of break down. I'm just, and, and this conversation is being had a lot in the industry, but the question that no one seems to be able to answer is, okay, where do they break down? Who breaks those right. down? Um, I, and I think ultimately the consumer, well, to some degree, it's a little bit different in this space because What's interesting about airlines versus airports is what is the consumer relationship, right? Who do I have a consumer relationship with? So I, as an example, I fly primarily out of LAX mm-hmm. and provide, you know, pro- fly primarily a couple of different airlines. I, my, but I would argue my relationship is largely with the airlines, not the airport, right? Uh-huh. So, but, and yet the airport is what the Wi-Fi network is on. So that's when if you're, if you're on the network, you get a chance to sort of see what's going on at LAX, the stuff that all the upgrades and amazing things that they're doing there. Um, but my direct consumer relationship is with the airline. They know who I am. They know my frequent flyer number. They know where I fly. They know how old I am. My, you know, sure. they, they've got everything on me, right? The airport largely has 
very little information on who their consumers are uh, because and they don't have a direct billing relationship with them in any way. So the challenge really is how does an airport make themselves relevant in the same way that an airline can because the airline has such much more rich data and a much more rich relationship um, with the consumer. So I think that's really in addition to all the things that you just outlined in terms of like how do, how do we functionally break down these silos, the other reality is is why why would a consumer have a relationship with an airport? Um, what is the compelling information the airport can give them to say, yes, I'm, I'm interested in having a relationship with you versus an airline, which seems much more uh, germane to to what they're doing? Yeah, and I, I, I can appreciate um, just because the airline is the one that you're, you're uh, – Interrupt, you're completing that transaction with, right? So you're right. at the airport right. because of a transaction with the airline. Um, but right. the airline can't tell me, you know, American isn't going to be able to tell me when I show up at O'Hare what is on sale at the um, shop down the terminal from me. You know, they're not going right. to be able right. to say um, – and while they sh- – they, well, they won't be able to say, you know, Chris, you showed up. 30 minutes before your flight, it's lunchtime, there is a 15-minute wait at these restaurants between here and your gate. Um, if you want some food, here's where here's our recommendations. The airline can't tell me that because they don't have right. any – they don't have the access to the data that knows how many people are at the airport at that time. Um, That's right. In theory, Boingo should, right? I mean, you at any given point at an airport connected – at a Boingo airport, you could give a rough estimate on how many people are at that airport at any given time, correct? Yes. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. If the network is built in such a way for things like location-based services, wayfinding, things like that, uh, that's definitely the kinds of things that you could do with the network for sure. So I guess my uh, point and the thought behind this is that, you know, with the infrastructure that you all are able to set up at these airports, it just, to me, seems like, uh, Boingo could easily position itself to be that deliverer of information. Yes, and again, what's interesting is it may be a little bit before our time and or the question is, you know, who's paying for it and how does it get monetized, right? Those mm-hmm. are always the big questions is right. how can you – very, very difficult to say um, Auntie Anne's has a coupon worth a dollar off an, uh, 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 your favorite pretzel – and have that be anything from a meaningful revenue standpoint that would justify the cost of putting in the, the number of additional APs and beacons and things like that that you have to put in to, you know, sort of justify the, the ability to, to, in order to create the ability to do it. You know, there's got to be some sort of someone who's paying for it. And oftentimes the people who'd be paying for that really is the airport. And mm-hmm. so you really have to – and then the question is, well, how do they pay for it? What is the revenue stream out of which they're going to pay for those things when sure. airports many times are struggling to do things like, you know, do major, uh, you know, uh, repairs to their runways or do the kinds of things that they need mm-hmm. to do to make, uh, you know, their basic function work better uh, for, their, for their passengers. So, you know, for example, we're doing some of this to some degree at – we've got a couple different airports where we're doing uh, TSA wait times. Mm-hmm. So when you come to the front of the line, we've got an, 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 you know, there are screens there. We do this in Chicago and we do this in Austin, uh, where you basically you've got several different lines that you've got to in front of you, and you basically can jump in the line and it'll show you the estimated wait time um, in order to get through to get through security. And we're doing that through beacons and things like that that are that are pinging 
the wireless uh, devices that you've got and, and sort of pinging them throughout kind of as the line goes through and then pinging it at the end and then doing some algorithms to understand exactly how long that's taking and updating that real time. So mm -hmm. there are definitely things that are happening in that, in that way, but it's also one of those things where TSA may have funding to do something like that where um, doing things like discounts or how long is the wait – from a customer experience standpoint at the airport, that's outstanding information for them to give or to deliver. But the question is, how do they pay for that? You know, mm -hmm. what, what, out of what fund and what bucket? It, 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 that's, the, that's the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that there are some other issues in terms of um, funding from the federal government being invested into revenue generating um, campaigns or projects. Uh, typically, the FAA likes to invest their funds in safety uh, issues of safe projects that directly deal with safety first, and then kind of work out from there. Um, and usually, uh, projects that will generate revenue for an airport without any money back to the FAA are uh, pretty low on the priority of lists of projects to get funded. Right. Even though they're really cool and even though they're yeah. awesome to do, it's just hard to get them when you do them. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, so before I, before we go, and I know we're we're kind of getting to the end of the time that I told you, um, I want to talk about briefly um, about the idea of the data that you all are capturing. We've talked a lot about tracking and different devices being pinged and all that. Um, with all the data breaches that are happening, yeah. you know. Um, how is, is Boingo obviously working with advertisers to some extent? Um, and I kind of glanced through the privacy policy before our conversation because uh, I had an assumption, uh, but I just wanted to confirm it. Um, but you all, while you are sharing information with certain advertisers, it's more on a um, generalized, generalized scale, correct? Aggregated, yeah, what yeah. we call aggregated data. Mm -hmm. It's so, essentially rolled up, so we're not doing specific – um, this is Chris's information or mm -hmm. this is Dawn's information. This is we're, we're providing information that, in general, the kinds of people who connect to our network are, you know, this percentage are male and this percentage are female and that sort of thing. Okay. And now then advertisers can – I'm assuming similar to Facebook, if they want to advertise to a certain demographic, um, they can target those types of demographics, correct? They can, yes. Our, our targeting capabilities are – somewhat limited, unfortunately, because of the kind of network that we are in. And what I mean by that is, and I don't want to get too technical, but because we sit behind a walled garden, mm -hmm. which means that, you know, you're essentially blocked from the rest of the Internet, the kinds of things that traditional advertisers use in order to do real-time information about who that, who that uh, consumer is and who that device is, right? So most of us today... Uh, when we're carrying our devices, we are cookied up the wazoo, right? We right. have tons and tons of cookies on our phones and devices that uh, that basically are telling third parties who we are and, the, and, and basically being able to deliver that information so that I can pull through an ad because I know Chris is really into fast cars, so I'm going to deliver a, a, a message for him that is a Lexus ad versus a Volkswagen ad, to, sure. to sort of give you an example. Um, in, our, in the case of our network, because our network sits behind a walled garden, our ability to punch through that network on the back end um, essentially creates a hole. And when you have a hole in the network, it, there are things that can go through that network that we don't want to go through. So, for example, if um, something as simple as 
if we wanted to do Facebook login in order mm-hmm. for a customer to kind of get online, we have to enable the Facebook login API in order to do that. Well, when you do that, it enables all of Facebook. And so suddenly right. now you can get online to Facebook without having to pay anything or watch an ad or do those kinds of things. So um, our ability to target is limited to things like airport location, uh, the kind of device you're on, uh, the time of day you're on, those kinds of things. We don't, we gen- and, and, and then generally we know macro information about the kinds of customers we have, but we are not doing the kind of one-to-one marketing that some other digital marketers can do, largely because the kind of network we're sitting on. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and that, I mean, that makes sense. Um, unfortunately, I think that that limits the amount of relevant information like we talked about earlier. Um, I am, while I am very wary of of what information is being sent around the internet about me when I'm searching, um, I also uh, am, my biggest frustration when it comes to data is is companies collecting that data is that despite all of that, my ad experience when I get online still sucks, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, you look at Amazon who should know damn near everything about, you know, what I'm doing online and what type of person I am based on, you know, I buy almost everything on Amazon from, uh, from candy bars to paper towels. Um, they should have an idea of who I am as a person, but yet when I buy something, whether it's a paper towel, when I buy more paper towels, um, once that transaction is completed, I'm still getting ads for it two weeks later, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> I've already right. bought yeah. it and still being advertised for it. Um, yep. So while I am weary, I do hope that advertising will get better over time, um, and that it's either you know it's either that it gets better or you just admit that it sucks and stop collecting all this information right. on me. Right. Right. Yeah. It's you and me both. It is. It is one of the banes of my existence. The you know if you, you're looking at a pair of shoes on Zappos that you end up completing that transaction. Zappos, why are you spending money to advertise the shoes that I already bought? Right, um, right, right. It's, it, it really is inefficient. Um, it, 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 they're, the advertising industry in general, uh, we have a long way to go, right, uh, because we have lots and lots of information about you, but we're not changing that information to something that's relevant and useful for you and also in a way that is meaningful, right, because – uh, so don't show me the shoes that I already bought. You know that I bought them. Show me the shoes that were next to the shoes that I was interested in, right, that, mm-hmm. that might be interested. Or other people also bought these shoes that bought your shoes. That's a far better use of the information and the data that you already have access to that you could do in the same way. So um, I think in many ways uh, advertising continues to be in the Stone Ages, um, you know, we continue to see things like people paying millions and millions and millions of dollars for ads that never get seen. So th- that actually is one of the things that we feel very strongly about on our network, particularly on the advertising side, which is while while we are not delivering one-to-one messages, generally speaking, the kinds of folks who advertise in with us are people who are trying to reach business travelers primarily, sure. right? Um, and so... But what's interesting is our advertising are things like it's a full-page takeover, so you don't have to ever worry about as an advertiser that I don't see the ad. Um, It is very lean forward because you've got to watch the ad in order to get connected. So we have a really high level of engagement, much, you know, 10 
many times over the number of engagement that most digital ads have on standard you know, uh, networks. So what's interesting is while we can't deliver some of the targeting that other, uh, let's say, Facebook can, they're just killer at it, um, mm-hmm. what we can deliver is a, a highly um, a highly lean forward, very highly engaged experience with the ad. Sure. Well, here's hoping that one day uh, you will able, be able to tell me what restaurants are in between me and my gate once I get through <laughs> TSA. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, well, Dawn, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. Uh, you had, oh, Chris, I'm so happy to do it, yeah. Really great conversation. If people want to follow what's going on at Boingo, um, where would be a place for them to check that out? Uh, certainly, Boingo.com has great information about Boingo in general. Um, our Twitter feed and Facebook feeds are um, at Boingo. And if you want to follow me and all of the crazy stuff I tweet about for Boingo, you can follow me at, at Don Callahan. There you go. There you go. And if anybody has any other questions, um, you can either reach out to, like Don said, on her Twitter or, of course, mine, and I will pass them on. Um, and hopefully we can have you back on soon to kind of get an update that, of where we go. Cause I can imagine that would be awesome. Chris. Yeah. Y'all's industry, uh, and your company continues to evolve as the, as the traveler does. Absolutely. As I always, as I always say, like, wait five minutes, everything's about to change. So, yeah. <laughs> um, definitely evolving all the time. Well, thanks so much again. And, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. Once again, we want to thank Dawn for her time. If you like this conversation and want to hear more like it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can just search runway.vc in a lot of the different podcast apps, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, as well as a few others. Uh, The best way to figure out if we're on your favorite app is just go to www.runway.vc slash podcasts, and the list is there. If we're not on your favorite app and you'd like us to be, shoot us a message, shoot me a tweet, send me a smoke signal, whatever. Uh, Let me know what your favorite app is, and I'll try my best to get it on there. As always, we want to thank Bruno Massone. He's the guy that hooks us up with our intro music. If you want to hear more of that song, as well as the rest of his music, check out his website at brunomassone.com. The link will, of course, be in the show notes. And finally, we want to thank the airport planning firm of Cutchins & Grow. Uh, Without them, this podcast would not be possible. So if you're with an airport that needs help with master planning... ALP updates, financial planning, noise studies, etc., make sure you check out their website at www.cutchins-grow.com. Their link will also be in the show notes. So once again, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.